Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. The, the question here, if you think about it, is how confident you feel about your biblical knowledge. This is anonymous. All right, no one's going to know if you think you're a scholar, that's okay. If you feel very intimidated and you don't know, just go ahead and answer where you feel like you are, all right? So you might feel like you're a scholar or you've been studying the Bible for many years, but you still have much to learn. So, so you know, as that goes on, we, we are obviously in a room full of people who are at different levels in their walk. I mean, we have folks who grew up going to church. We got folks who... Maybe the first time they ever read a Bible was when they walked into the path. Or maybe they went to church all their lives, but no one ever asked them to study the Bible. Or maybe they didn't even know, or they hear things like, quiet time, what's a quiet time? Or, or, or where do I start? You know, and they might start from the book of Genesis to, to the, uh, you know, from the beginning all the way to the end of Revelation. And, and they're like, man, it's confusing. What, what's up with that book called Numbers? And, and they think it's Job instead of Job. I mean, you know, you, you, may, you don't know where you're at. But I think a lot of us are at different places, right? Some people really are like, what is the Bible? Because the word Bible is not in the Bible. So, so, so what does it mean? It's a, it's a collection of 66 books, and they're uniquely the perspective not written by God himself through man to give us a narrative. So think of it like stories that we're hearing from people's perspective. Not too different than when people share their lives and their encounter with God. And so it's faith building, it's inspiring, it's convicting, it helps us to grow and to learn. And so as we get into and we focus on what it means to be resilient, I just said, let's go to the definition of resilience. That's the next slide. And so, oh no, I'm sorry, this one, did did we not have a resilience one? Okay. So yeah, that one. So an ability to recover or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Like, to be able to bounce back. Like, you bounce back, and you're like, all right. Now, I don't know where you are, but you ever been at a place where it's really hard to bounce back? You go through a tragedy. You, you, you try to bounce back. To be really transparent, that beautiful woman right there is my wife, and we've been married for 25 years. And, and, and in, our, in our journey... We've had good times and bad times, and if you don't believe this, we've, we've argued before. We've, we've had disagreements, and, and sometimes it's hard to bounce back. Like, man, does this ruin the vacation because we just had a big disagreement? Does this ruin, wait, let's get real here. Does this ruin my worship because our argument was on our way to church? You know, um, singles. Maybe you had a tough week and now you're like, man, it's hard to bounce back. All of us, at some point, we fall. We stumble. We give in to sin and we mess up. And can you get back up? Because, you know, Satan, that's where he wants to keep you down. You mess up. God is all about resilience, right? God is all about, come on, get back up, get back up. But shame and, 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 and discouragement creep in. Depression. I mean, we, it's hard to bounce back. And you ever heard, have someone just say, man, get a hold of yourself? Man, it's hard to bounce back. And the older you get and you fall, it's a lot harder to bounce back. 
And so in preparation uh, for this weekend, Angel ordered these books. Uh, uh, John Elkridge wrote this book called Resilient. And as I was reading it, he introduced this amazing analogy about the difference between a horse and a camel. And he was saying, man, horses can be resilient, right? You, you get on a horse, powerful horse. He says, but if you're going through the desert, you don't want to get on a horse because you'll start seeing the horse pant. It wants water. It dries up. It's tired, and it will just give out. He says, but a camel is known for their resilience. They have these extra. That's me on a camel. Right? They have these, the, these reserves. And, and, and basically what he says is it's good and it's bad because camels are known to be so resilient They'll just keep going and going and going. But when those humps get empty, they still keep going, and then they literally just die. There's no warning sign. And what, what, what John Elkridge does, he says resilience is this. Resilience is the reserve. It's like those camel reserves, that camel back. And we all have something, some reserve. Some of us got just a little reserve. Some of us have... A lot because we've been building that reserve. But he was like, man, the pandemic causes us to kind of go into that reserve mode. And so some of us, especially those who weren't able to be in the fellowship and we get energized by one another, man, we were drying up. And we're like, man, I have no reserves. You know, it's like that gas tank when it says empty and it really just stops. And so what happens is it's very easy for us to keep going and not realize that we have to recharge and pour into our reserves because you never know when calamity will come. You never know when tragedy will come. And so I want to get real with you guys because in my walk with God, I became a Christian very young. I was 16. Just to put it in perspective, I turned 50 in two months. So I've gone through amazing roads, but I've tapped into those reserves many, many times. And there are times where there was nothing left. I mean, literally, I'm like, man, am I going to make it? I don't know. And so the next slide is just a quick aspect of resilience so that we can get an idea. And it just says, you know, it's to nurture a positive view of yourself, to move towards your goals, to make connections, to accept change that is part of life, and to take decision action, decisive action. Now, check this out. To me, that's a sign of maturity. You got, at some point, you got to grow up. Like, you, you, a child, is, it's hard for them to, to understand and grasp these. A young Christian sometimes thinks that you become a Christian and everything's good. But it's like, no, you, you, you need those connections. You, you got to keep going towards your goal. You got to keep going. And so since we've been studying the book of Acts, I found it fitting that we turn to Acts chapter 8. And we learn of some really interesting folks. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time. I honestly must confess that you can take this passage and make an entire series out of it, but we won't. But because we're students of the Bible and we said that we want to keep learning, we're going to go back and we're going to study it on our own, amen? Because students of the Bible don't just come to, to school, right? Mike, as a professor, you don't just want them to come to the lecture. You got some homework. Amen. You, 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 you really, you don't become an expert in a subject if you just hear it once. And so you got to go back and study. And so I'm going to give you some things that I've studied that were revealed to me. But as you saw earlier, there are so many different perspectives. And this is an amazing passage. So we'll start here in Acts chapter 8. And 
to give you an idea, you know, Philip is obedient to God. Philip is an amazing man of God who preaches the word and is obedient to God. So we're going to read this, and the folks up there that are passing the slides, when I get to the bottom, you can just go to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, and stop, please, if you can stop at literally at the one that says Acts 8, 38 to 40. We're going to stop right there. Don't, don't go to the next one. Just stay there. So we'll start together, and you follow me as I read. It says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south, uh, towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a core official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. It's going to sound a little familiar to you, all right? Like a sheep that he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before a shearer, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, By whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak and started with this scripture. He proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariots to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water, and Philip baptized them. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him in the sawdust, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Isn't there a great story? Now, any, any, you, you, not to give yourself away, but I, I think a few people said they're scholars. Is there anything missing in this passage? Anyone? All right, let me get a volunteer, um, quick volunteer, to just read for me Acts chapter 837. Can I get a volunteer to read Acts 8.37 for me? And and you don't have to look it up here. I mean, you can find it in your Bible. Acts 8.37. Can you put that next slide for me there? Acts 8.37. Who who would like to read that? All right. All right. Now, I didn't add that there, but depending on the translation that you were using, it's, it's like in your footnotes or somewhere. And so that's what I mean. We got to be students of the word. It's like, what, what, why is that? And why, why did the translators put it, set it aside? Why is it there? And, and here's, here's the thing. That is what we call the public confession. And sometimes some of us have grown up in a, in a religion where that's where we feel like it's our moment of salvation. But there's so much more to the story. And so what happens a lot of times is we get stuck somewhere. And so I think, this is my belief, that as they were translating the scriptures, they're like, people are going to get stuck here. Let's focus on the big picture. And if people want to study it out and want to see what this means, then they can go on their own, which is often 
with the scriptures. There's references and connections, and sometimes we just go through them, go through them, go through them, and we don't realize what, what, what is the author trying to say to us? What is the Holy Spirit trying to point out? And so as we break down this guy's story, I want you to, for a minute, try to put yourself in that narrative. Christians, you've been Christians for a while. Yeah, I'm obedient to God. So I'll go wherever God tells me to go, right? I'm going everywhere. All of us, we're going. I heard about a mission for you. I'm going. Where are we going to go? Let's go. Do you realize there are some places that are really, really difficult to go? And so Philip was obedient, but do you realize that God told him to go and he didn't tell him where? He just said, go? I know for me, this is when I go with God. I was like, all right, God, I'm going to go, but can you give me a heads up on the plan? Like, how am I getting there? And, and you know, am I taking an Uber? I mean, what, what, how am I getting there? He's like, just, just go. So Philip goes, no chariot, not to the desert. In this translation that we read, it says the wilderness. So he sends them out to the wilderness. Dude, are you kidding me, God? I mean, where am I going? Did I bring water? Just go. Just go. And so he goes, and you know, it's in the wilderness. So honestly, he, he didn't know where to go, but he sees a chariot. So I think he's just smart enough to think, well, I think that's where I need to go. And so he gets closer and closer and closer. And as he's getting closer, he kind of like ear hustles a little. Right? I hear, I hear something. Whoa, this guy's reading a scripture? And he's reading it a lot. We'll get to that in a minute. Because that's, that's awkward. Like people don't tend to read out loud that often. Like you don't go to Barnes and Nobles and people are reading and they're reading out loud. Right? Like, 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 like you don't walk past the car and, you know, sometimes you'll hear them talking out loud and they're on the phone. Or sometimes they're on something and they're talking to themselves or, you know, I don't know. But the reality is that we just need to be obedient. So Philip does, and he hears this amazing passage. Can, can you go back to the beginning of Acts 8 where we started? Let me just break this down for a quick moment, and we'll go through this rather quickly. So he goes, he's obedient, and it says in verse 30, we can start there. It says, so Philip ran up and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? You realize nobody can become a Christian by themselves. We all need someone to teach us. We actually, we need someone to baptize us. I mean, you can't baptize yourself. It's not in the Bible. All right? So we all need someone to guide us, somebody to get us there. And so this guy is so humble. Now, what we know about this guy, besides the fact that he was from Ethiopia, is he was really in charge of the treasury. I mean, this guy was the money man. He was trusted. And so, if you don't mind, let's go to the slide after that Acts, because I want to ask you guys this question that's very important. And believe it or not, this is the last kind of mentee survey we're going to do, but it's very important. And so, um, if you ask yourself, when called to reach out to someone, how important is to be able to relate or empathize with them? I mean, go ahead and answer it. You, or do, can you answer it? No, you can't, right? All right, yeah, yeah, so then, so how important is it? All right, just, is it extremely important? Does it matter? Maybe you don't reach out to people. You're confessing right now. I don't know. It's important. It's not. All right, so, all right, we'll just give it another moment. So, so it's extremely important, most people believe, 
Some write a second, it's like, man, it's important, but it's not necessary. And others say it doesn't matter because if God can use a donkey, he can use me. All right? So for all those who think that it's extremely important, do you think that Philip can relate to this guy? From what we know, Philip wasn't wealthy. From what we know, Philip, he didn't even have a car, right? He didn't have, he didn't have a, a chariot. He's walking. He was probably pretty dusty. And he wasn't from Ethiopia. I mean, and then this eunuch was very different. And we'll get to the definition of eunuch in a moment. But he could not relate to this guy. Maybe he could relate on the point of where maybe there was a time in Philip's life where he was searching too. Or it's just the Holy Spirit put them together. But as this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, is going through the passages, the next slide is of a basketball hoop that has no rim. When the pandemic hit, we had just planted a church. It's my first time planting a church. I've been a part of ministries for many years. I've experienced different things. And I felt like Philip in a way where God said, just go plant this church. It was brand new. There was a, I must confess, there was a part that was really exciting, but there was another part of like, what do you do? And whenever you plant a church, it's really scary because you launch and you're wondering if anyone's going to show up. Like literally, you're like, like you're at the back, you, you wonder, you know, sometimes Christians get a little late and you wonder, but you're like, they're coming. But when you plan a church, you're like, who's coming? Who's coming? And so you're just praying. And so we planted and we moved our family from a plus neighborhood, a nice area where my kids went to school, and we went to the city. And the pandemic hit. And just to give you an idea, where's Matt? Matt's right here. Matt loves to play sports. And he loved basketball. And his way to unwind Every day after school, outside our house, we had a lot of space, and we had a basketball hoop that we bought that was really nice, and he would just shoot hoops, and you would hear him. And that, was, that would be his thing. And so we moved, we planted a church, and the pandemic hit, and our, we lived in a little townhouse in the city, and so there was no hoop. There was no basketball. And so there was a little park across the street, and it kind of looked like this, because the city was like, we don't want people around each other. And so they closed it off. And Matthew had no way to kind of like, as a teenager, to express himself, to get rid of some of that frustration and anger. And so guess what? He became an angry kid. And we were trapped. We were in the same little townhouse. And we're like, nowhere to go. It was my wife, Matthew, Lillian, our dog Apollo, and we didn't have enough space. And we're all over each other. We're like, oh, and I want to be like, Matthew, just go outside. He's like, oh, no, he can't. And, and so I was like, man, I, I get it, God. Philip must have been single because would you have asked him to go into the wilderness by himself or with a family? No water, no reserve. I mean, what, what is going on? And I must confess, I started feeling like I don't know what to tell my son. And so we get into a conversation, and he's like, Dad, I hate church. I don't even want to go. I mean, man, I'm going to go to help you to set up the equipment, but I hate it. All the other kids, there's only like three other teens, and they're all weird. <laughs> and he's like, as a matter of fact, 
as a matter of fact, I don't even know if I believe in God. And I'm like, no, no. And then let me tell you, my wife and I, we started praying. We're like, did we do something dumb? Like at the risk of doing this for God, did we sacrifice the spirituality of our kids? And I'm like, no, man. And then, of course, something else tragic happens, and we're in the middle of there, the pandemic, and my dad passes away. He's the first funeral that I have to officiate. And we were close. And so now I don't have my dad. But before he passed for six months, I had to drive to go see him in a nursing home every day. And I didn't want to go inside. And sometimes I would just drive the long way or I would stay in the parking lot. I would cry because the man that I knew as a strong man, a, a, a providing father, he was weak. He was dwindling away. And it was hard. It felt like that. I had nothing to hold on to, nothing to guide me. And I started thinking, man, God, did, did, I, did I do wrong? Did I go the wrong direction? Did, and I'm grateful for relationships and friends because it just kept encouraging me. You're doing it, man. You're, you're doing what God wants you to do. And sometimes you need that. Like, man, no, you're not wrong. Just keep going. And sometimes what I'm grateful for, specifically Mike and Angel, they weren't even trying to relate. Mike wasn't like, oh, yeah, I remember what it was. He was like, brother, I'm not there. He spent a couple months, him and Sean came up to him. He's like, I can relate, but I don't live there. I'm back home. And I'm like, man, this was tough. And so this guy, let's go to the scripture. Oh, wait, wait, don't go yet. Don't go yet. Um, I prayed a lot about this as I was working on this. This is, I found a scripture that I, get, I was able to get as close as possible to read a PG because it's rated R. All right. And in your own time, you go say, so, so this is a translation. It's a children's translation. And so if you turn there, Deuteronomy 23, it says, the man who has had part of his sex organ cut off may come, no man who has had his part of his sex organ cut off may come into the worship meeting of the Lord's people. This is in the Bible. Now, it's a lot more graphic than that. This is the, look, International Children's Bible, all right? So if you have an issue with this version, yeah, take it out with Jesus. And, 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 and if you can stomach the other parts, it's a lot more graphic. But this means that for that Ethiopian eunuch who it's believed that he was converted to Judaism, he couldn't go and worship where everyone else could. He wasn't allowed. He had to stay outside. And... That sounds really unfair. Like, in one part, it sounds like his life was amazing because he was in charge of all the treasury. But on the other hand, he wanted a relationship with God, and he was rejected. He couldn't go because a eunuch is a castrated man. And so here he is. He's trying to go close. He's on this chariot. He's seeking. He wants to be close. And by the way, some of us, when, when something bad happens, we get bitter with God. But this man just wanted to be closer and closer to God. That's resilience. And so Philip could not relate. From what we know, Philip was a normal man. But he was obedient. And he follows. And if you study out that text, that passage that we dwelled in the word with, is what he was reading. But you know why that stood out to him so much? Because although no one in his surroundings could relate, he felt like that person in that passage could. Yeah. 
He was cast out. He was like, wait. So he wanted to know. Literally, he's like, who, who is this person? Like, I need to talk to this dude because he can relate exactly how I feel. And so he's like, who is this guy? I, I don't get it. And so he's thinking it's a person. Maybe he can learn more about him. Or he's thinking, is, is this the guy that wrote the scripture in Deuteronomy? Which from now we know that was Moses. And Moses has been given the Is this Moses about himself? Or is it about someone else? There's a, a movie. I'm going to show you a quick clip. I hope this works. And it's called, it's on Netflix. It's about George Foreman. And I love this. I love this. It's so amazing. Um, so it's a two-minute clip. We'll just take a moment, we'll watch it, and then we'll continue on, but we'll, we'll be wrapping up after this. For 28 years, I used my fist to get respect. You put up the phone? I knew I had to start using my heart. I just didn't know how. She told me big George Foreman was at the door. And I said, Beatrice, you are crazy. George Foreman ain't coming to see the champ unless he's looking for another whooping. So, I can come here tell you that I found Jesus. You found Jesus. Congratulations, George. I did not know he was lost. I came here to ask for your forgiveness. For my forgiveness? Yes. I'm the one knocked you out. You know, I desire... I hated you, Mohammed. And I did. And I wanted to kill you with these hands. Come on, man. You, you want a rematch, I know. Just come out and say it. I don't want no rematch. They told me you were tired to preach, but I didn't believe it. Well, I, I want to help people. Well, George, help me, okay? All you got to do is fight Kenny Norton one more time, knock him out. Please, George, knock him out, because I show King. You knock him out, he won't be a top-ranked contender, then I'll give you another shot of the title, and then we both get paid, huh? Pray Jesus. I can't help you that way. All right, brother. Fine. I forgive you. George Foreman, a preacher. Now I have seen it all. <laughs> so this movie just really moved me because I have felt like George Foreman. He was knocked out. He was at the top, the top of his game. He was knocking people out left and right until he faced Muhammad Ali. And he got knocked out. And he didn't know if he could do it again. And it was in that moment, that low moment, that he found Jesus. And, you know, I used to think salvation was when I got baptized. But you know what? Those moments of hardship, you find Jesus all over again. And you're like, man, it, you're still with me. And so it, 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 it's amazing. I mean, I recommend this movie. He, he actually gets baptized. And he changes his life. And I'm like, man, God, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's, he's putting out messages out there for the world to watch. And so God is doing something amazing. And he was doing it in the book of Acts. But guess what? That same spirit is still working today. 
And so it's not like, oh, that was cool for the book of Acts. No, but you know what happens? We don't always experience those things in the book of Acts because we don't have the faith that Philip had. We're not that obedient. We got our own agenda. So we're like, God, hold on. I'm going to do it my way. And some of us, we've been Christians a while, and we don't see miracles. We don't see that. I mean, dude, George Foreman went to Muhammad Ali's house to ask for forgiveness. When's the last time you did something courageous like that? When's the last time you were like, man, this is uncomfortable, this is weird, this is hard, man, this is impossible, but I'm doing it because it's not about me. (laughs) Philip ran up to that chariot, this important official, this intimidating person. And dude, this is crazy because the Ethiopian eunuch was just humble. He was searching, but no one knew that. He didn't have something on his chest that said resilient. He didn't say, I'm open. I'm open. He was just searching and he didn't know and he's studying. He didn't understand. And you realize there are people right now who are searching and they don't realize. Jared was our keynote speaker. And we did something a little different. Mike, Angel, myself, we prayed and we were like, we want the men's retreat. Let's find a God, bring us somebody that's going to inspire us. But we were like, Maybe they don't have to necessarily be a Christian. They need to be spiritual, and they shouldn't be cussing when they share. But, <laughs> but man, so we, we connected. Uh, the, I'll give you the short version. Mike introduced us to Jared. We're sitting down, and he's been in combat twice and nearly lost his life. And now he devotes his life to helping vets because the suicide rate for vets are really high. And he's like, man, I need brothers. And he was like, I need you guys. And his way of saying he needs us and wants us is he don't like us, but we, we know what that means. Huh? <laughs> so, so Jared comes, he's preaching, but throughout this journey, I even get with him about what he's going to speak on, and he's humble, and he's hungry. He's asking us questions. And then he calls a couple weeks ago, and we talk to him, and he's sobbing because his father had just passed and yesterday after he spoke he said man I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have you guys during that time I don't know if I would have made so it's like God knew what he was doing and today our brother Jared is going to make Jesus Lord and be baptized now Now, this is a man that has seen battle, has been in danger, and if you go to that part of the world, it's still pretty chaotic. So as I close out, I just want to show you this one last, you guys can go to that slide where that red sign is from a distance. You notice that the translation we read, no, not there, the the translation, that's that's a funny story. There's no Starbucks in, in that area. It's called Area A because Starbucks won't go there, so they have buck stars and well, stars, I mean, it's just... <laughs> Stars and bucks, you know. But, um, but when you go into the area, that is the area called area, area A. And if you zoom into the next one, it's this image of what it says. Look what it says. No, that's not it. Did, did, I, did I forget to put it? No, it's there. All right, that's area A. This road leads to Area A under the Palestinian Authority. 
The entrance for Israeli citizens is forbidden, dangerous to your lives, and it is against the Israeli law. That's the same area where Philip had to go. The wilderness. Are you willing to go into the danger zone? See, there's this weird, false, fallacy teaching that if you become a Christian, you're safe. Do you realize in the first century, you become a Christian, you're probably going to die. And so we're in America, but guess what? It's becoming more and more where the persecution is coming. But even if it doesn't come outwardly, it's dangerous to be a Christian. It's dangerous for your relationships. I tell you right now, disclaimer, not the fine print, but become a Christian, some people may not be in your life anymore. Become a Christian, your boss might not like you because now you're not going to lie anymore. Become a Christian, your wife, your husband, your kids, your family may not understand. Become a Christian, you might stay single a lot longer than you planned because you can't find someone who loves Jesus the same. Become a Christian, and you fill in the blank because you go into the wilderness, but you realize you can't make it to the promised land unless you go through the desert. And so my life, I've experienced the desert. And I'm not saying I'm at the promised land now, but you know when God just blesses you, it's so sweet. When he gives you that, that refreshing water and you're thirsty, it feels so good. And I've needed that. And so God bless me. She's all the way in the back, this amazing woman that's resilient. And I was doing some crazy stuff, man. I went to plant a church. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, the funeral music. <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And I told you not to play funeral music. <laughs> All right. I'm closing out. I'm closing out. God gave me a resilient woman. He gave me some resilient children. Even one of my friends here, Kenyatta, is here from Philly. He's seen me in my best and in my worst. And it's so refreshing because both of my kids are faithful. They love Jesus. And it's like, man, what else can I ask for? And then I'm in a church of people who are committed Amen. to the mission. Amen. And I'm around some of my very best friends. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And even when you think it can't get better, God encourages you with a kiss, and you meet a guy who says he doesn't like you and decides he wants to be a Christian. <laughs> so as you embark in this journey, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be hard. But let me tell you, it's amazing on the other side. You know what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? He went on to preach, and to this day, Ethiopia is surrounded by Muslim countries, but it's still known as a Christian nation. And scholars believe that what happened was this man went back, evangelized, shared his faith, and converted an entire nation. So there's no telling what God can do when we're faithful and we're obedient to him. To God be the glory. Amen. back, evangelized, shared his faith, and converted an entire nation. So there's no telling what God can do when we're faithful and we're obedient to him. To God be the glory. Amen. This time we're going to go ahead and pray uh, for our communion where we get a chance to just meditate on Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. As we take communion, uh, let's think about that scripture that was shared uh, in the beginning about Jesus 
the scripture that the eunuch was reading out loud. And uh, let's think about the cracker that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sin. Let's pray, God. We love you. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he can meet us where we are, wherever we are, wherever we've been, wherever we're going. Thank you, God. Thank you for the sacrifices that Jesus made simply because he loves us so that we can spend eternity in heaven with you, God. And Lord, I, I thank you, God, for the message that was shared today, and I pray that our hearts will be softened. I pray we will um, take these things and put them into practice, God, so that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.